Hello and welcome to another episode of T-Rex Talk. This is a podcast-exclusive episode, and we're going to be talking about uh, gun culture 3.0 specifically, or maybe gun culture 4.0. I'm already losing track of the stuff that we covered in last week's episode, which was on gun culture 1.0, people who owned guns but mainly thought of them for sport or for hunting, maybe, maybe a revolver for personal defense. Uh, a, a shotgun in the closet for home defense, and that was kind of it. And then gun culture 2.0, not just the hunting and the home defense and the personal defense, but also a public defense as well. And then 3.0 gun culture is kind of where a lot of people are today. Not everybody. Gun culture 2.0 is still very prevalent on the internet, and I think uh, we should all be really grateful for that. But gun culture 3.0 is more people who are... Uh, they're moving to the next step. They're 3D printing their own guns. They are learning to use night vision and thermal. They're coordinating with off-grid communication technologies and using drones and digital radios to gather intel, stuff that we've kind of talked about on previous uh, episodes of this podcast or the T-Rex live stream. One way that you could break it down, I suppose, is that Gun Culture 1.0 was interested in the ability to shoot. Gun Culture 2.0 was interested in the ability to shoot and move. And Gun Culture 3.0 is a little bit more capable of the whole shoot, move, communicate package. Although that's kind of unfair because, like I said last week, one of the great things to come out of Gun Culture 2.0 is a huge amount of ability to communicate information about why guns and why Gun Culture 2.0 specifically. Gun Culture 2.0 was largely more about principles, the principles of self-defense and what the Second Amendment was actually good for. And Gun Culture 3.0, as it leans into better capabilities and better tools, uh, I think we also really need to lean into better principles. And I'll talk more about that later. Having a deeper understanding of what is justice and what is right is extremely important. Not that knowing that self-defense is a good thing is bad, but it's an extremely simple thing. Whether or not you should be able to defend yourself while you wait the 13 average minutes of police response time is kind of like a kindergarten thought experiment. Knowing what the Second Amendment is for is great, but that's kind of like first grade history. So knowing those deeper principles, knowing what to resist and how to resist in those Second Amendment scenarios requires much deeper principles. And figuring out what capabilities to develop requires principles almost as much as it requires tools and technology. So that is something that gun culture 3.0 really needs to lean into. And I, I see that happening, which is encouraging because we're already seeing guys who are deeply into developing additional capabilities and they're getting better at other tools on top of firearms. They're better at resiliency and better at building, which is a really important point, especially principally. Guns are great for defense. And if it's okay to use guns to defend the stuff that you have, then it's okay to have the stuff that you have. And if it's okay to have the stuff that you have, it would be really great to build more of that stuff. And not just physical things, but things like networks and communities and skill sets and communication power. That's part of the reason that I think that the gun culture 3.0 community really needs to get more heavily into the makerspace or the hackerspace, get much better at digital and computer tools. Now, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly how valuable some of these skills are. It's, it's almost like asking in 1400s Europe, how valuable is literacy? Well, it's definitely valuable because 
being able to write stuff down and read it back, even if it's just to yourself, is super helpful. But literacy gets super valuable as soon as the printing press comes along. As soon as the printing press comes along, you can read stuff that other people are writing. Books go from super rare to incredibly prevalent and in the language that you can already read. So literacy goes from being a useful skill to a superpower almost overnight. And I think that gun culture 3.0 and the hacker community and the maker community are kind of tinkering with some of those skills that are in that category. There are developments happening now that aren't really being put into place. And when they are, or if they are, or if they become more useful, then those skills become really, really valuable. And it's not just making stuff and hacking stuff. Uh, I think gun culture 3.0 needs to heavily get into the homesteading community and the homeschooling community and the home economics community. I mean, that's probably the wrong word for that because it already means something, but building home businesses and building the, the ability to make hubs for larger communities to consolidate around. But I specifically bring up the maker community and the hacker community because they have very useful skill sets. And uh, to be honest, I'm a little bit uh, disappointed in a bunch of those guys, those, uh, those cyberpunk folks. Basically, punks aren't what they used to be. Uh, they've all become Covidians or Mandatorians or whatever you want to call them. A bunch of hackers that I have followed for years uh, that I saw playing Spot the Fed at DEF CON and planning uh, to be super anti-authoritarian and super anti-establishmentarianism are now uh, they're just tripping over their feet running to comply with uh, whatever the authorities and the establishment wants to put into place. But this is a, a area that we need to be more capable, more fluent, more literate, because the world that we live in is increasingly digital and information-driven and data-driven, and communication and analytics are very important tools for the suppression of information and ideas as much as the propagation of information and ideas. We need tools not only to defend ourselves in physical world, in meat space, uh, but we also need tools to defend our privacy and our information and our communication networks and, and more. And I know this is nerd talk, but uh, let's, let's focus on some disturbing trends at the moment. In the 1980s, when computers were first available, home computers became relatively uh, accessible. They were very, very open. A lot of computers came with not only instructions on how to write your own programs, uh, this, this was where you started in your home computer adventure, but they also came with schematics for how you could modify the hardware of your computers. And then when the internet began to be prevalent in the early 90s, it was also very free and open. There were a whole bunch of people who were just allowing you to build onto the internet, to plug into the internet, to just do a lot of different stuff, to tinker and to experiment. The internet today is uh, becoming very centralized and very managed and very locked down. And your phones that you have today are extremely locked down. Uh, Apple won't even allow you to install programs on your phone that they have not expressly approved uh, and are getting a cut from. Now, there's ways around those limitations. There, there are a few chinks in the wall that let you get into and out of Apple's walled garden ecosystem, but you have to be, you have to be kind of a nerd to sort of do it, which is it's kind of my point. These are the kind of skills that gun culture 3.0 guys are probably going to need if they're going to continue developing gun culture 3.0. This move towards centralization is not something that we just see in the government space. This is something that we see uh, just on the internet. When I was a kid, there were only three television networks. And in some ways, things have 
drastically improved. There are now millions, probably billions of YouTube channels. But notice that they're all on YouTube. The internet has given millions of people voices and given them the ability to find, connect to, and communicate and get information in phenomenal ways. But more and more, those millions and now billions of people who are doing that are doing it on very controlled and restricted platforms. Now, I do want to point out that these social media platforms are still very useful tools. T-Rex would not exist if it weren't for Instagram, which means, unfortunately, we wouldn't exist without Facebook. And we definitely wouldn't have been able to grow the way that we have recently without YouTube. And we're predominantly marketing to people who have been educated through YouTube. And yet, down the pike, uh, we can see more and more restrictions coming and more and more centralization and more and more monopolizing. There's still a huge amount of internet out there, a huge amount of information superhighway, so to speak, that uh, isn't running on a social media platform. And yet, it pretty much all runs on advertising uh, that is done through Facebook and Google. Nearly all metrics and all advertising for the entire internet is happening on Google and Facebook, the two remaining advertising networks that are worth being on. Pretty much all web content these days is consumed either from a search engine or a social media share. And there's tremendous control over what is allowed to be seen on both of those things. And even the deeper underlying structures of the internet are getting pretty centralized. Amazon Web Services is now running most of the internet. We saw that when uh, a few weeks ago there was a massive AWS shutdown and a whole bunch of services that nobody had any idea were running on Amazon servers also failed, revealing the interconnectedness and monopolistic vertical nature of this whole system. It also gets a little worse than that because Apple, Google, Facebook, and Amazon are very, very close to the government. There's a huge amount of interaction back and forth, not just information sharing, but a lot of discussion and policy making that comes out of that uh, unholy union. And like I said earlier, pushback against all of this centralization is getting kind of rare. The cyberpunks are not what they used to be. Even uh, the punk bands like Rage Against the Machine, you know, the, they hated capitalism and corporatism so much that now they uh, perform exclusively in gigantic arenas owned by banks like Capital One. And they hate governments so much that they're demanding all the attendees of their shows get the mandated vaccines. Now, I'm going to be honest, I didn't actually expect very much from the punk bands, but I did expect more from the uh, the hackers and the maker people because they have said for a long time that they're standing up for freedom. They need to stand up for more freedom. And the gun people, uh, we need to stand up for more freedom as well. Not just the freedom to keep and bear arms, but the freedom that uh, is implied by everything related to the Second Amendment and the First Amendment and the other amendments. And now is really the right time to do that. And here's something that is very encouraging to me. There's a whole bunch of new technological tools that are, I believe, intrinsically decentralizing. They make things easier to do at a smaller level. The cost-benefit analysis of a lot of these tools or devices or inventions actually favor the small business or the individual over the big business. For example, 3D printing. And I think there's a bunch of these. Electric motors, open source hardware, digital radios, a lot of stuff that we've talked about already. But 3D printing is something that is far more beneficial to a small company that needs to produce things in a small volume 
than a giant company that already has the mechanisms for injection molding or whatever else. And when giant corporations and centralized monopolies use some of these intrinsically uh, decentralizing technologies, they are pounding a round peg into a square hole. It's a lot of extra work for them. I'm going to use Tesla as, uh, as an example of this. So, so Tesla is a very cool company making very cool cars with very cool technology. And uh, I'm not uh, trying to throw a Tesla under the bus, so to speak. But with all of the advances and with all of the things that Elon Musk is trying to do, Tesla cars should be a lot easier to repair. And they should be very, very easy for users to modify almost all of the variables that control that car. They're made out of these modular panels. Uh, they should be super easy to fix and to tweak. The electric motors that run them, this is kind of the whole point of the Tesla, by the way, uh, those electric motors are way simpler to tweak and to adjust um, than the entire drivetrain of an internal combustion vehicle. There are hobbyists and tinkerers who are doing all kinds of stuff with electric bicycles and other electric vehicles to get better traction control, to get better efficiency, to get better speed, acceleration, torque, all sorts of things out of their electrical current modulators and their battery packs and their motors. And Lewis Rossman, the right to repair guy, uh, commented on this fact. Tesla actually has to go out of its way to develop new tools and technologies and pieces of the car to lock people out. Even though they're building this car that is really easy to build and thus really easy to modify, they have to build a larger and more complicated ecosystem to lock you out of repairs and adjustments, even if you're a customer that owns the car. Now, this isn't entirely Tesla's fault. I'm not pinning all of this on Elon Musk. A huge amount of the automotive industry is hugely regulated. And all car manufacturers that are making stuff to drive on the roads that are built by the government have to, they have to comply with a whole bunch of massive government regulations, which just demand more and more and more centralization and control all the time. For example, earlier this year, uh, the 2021 U.S. infrastructure bill, a bill that is going to cost us on paper $1 trillion, and in reality, considerably more than that, um, it requires that all cars made after the year 2026 have a device inside that will prevent any impaired driver from being able to start the car. This is creepy and weird, and there's going to be a huge amount of false positives, and it's also going to be heavily surveilled. The infrastructure that allows you to do that to a vehicle also allows just a whole bunch of problematic stuff. Constant surveillance, uh, remote lockout, stopping cars while they drive. Just a huge amount of dystopian nonsense becomes capable when you, uh, when you put this sort of stuff into effect. So that's why I say hackers and makers should do more to stand up for freedom. Because not only is it the right time to do it, not only do we have the tool sets that will enable us to do it, not only is there more and more and more stuff to stand up to all the time, uh, but it's also the right thing to do, which takes us back to those those deep principles. You, as a gun culture guy, want to be advancing. You don't want to get stuck in gun culture 1.0 or 2.0. And you really need to be pursuing what are the capabilities? What are the tools? What are the principles that will allow me to be more effective as a gun culture 3.0 guy or a gun culture 4.0 guy? And I really think that those principles are 
the starting point. Again, it's more than just knowing that self-defense is justifiable. That's so basic. And the ability to answer hard questions like, should my car be able to ask an Amazon server if it's okay for me to drive to work based on the consumption of things in my Facebook refrigerator? These are questions that we need to be capable of answering from a very principled position, not just a we don't like it position. And the good news is that I feel like Gun Culture 2.0 became very, very good at searching out and articulating positions. So that's something that we just need to keep the ball rolling on as we go into Gun Culture 3.0. Essentially, we need to A, continue to build out the tools and the skills and the capabilities of Gun Culture 2.0, but also make sure that we are properly synergizing, I hate that word, but it's the best word for this, making sure that all of those skills and things that we've picked up from Gun Culture 2.0 work better together so that uh, we have this force multiplier of the Gun Culture 3.0 people and that we we actually uh, continue to multiply our forces literally as we do that. And again, I don't mean to demean anybody who has only gotten to the point where they're okay with owning a gun, and they're only okay with self-defense. That is a great first start, but we all want to move beyond that. We all want to learn those lessons that uh, we were taught by Gun Culture 1.0 and move on to the next thing. The next thing is Gun Culture 2.0, where we're okay with more than just shooting. We want to be able to shoot on the move. We're okay with more than just self-defense. We want to be capable of defending others. And then when we want to get to gun culture 3.0, we have to have the moral standards to go deeper than that in order to properly develop the tools and the techniques to go further than that. And because there's always this constant war of ideas, we're going to need to be better at communicating these things. So I want to thank you guys who are listening to this podcast Uh, If you are brand new to gun culture itself, I want to thank you for listening to our content. If you've been around for a while, I want to thank you for the, the part that you have played in moving the gun culture along in this direction. And let's continue the conversation about what the future tools and technologies uh, we want to have mastered, what the principles are that we will have really needed to work out, um, and what alliances we want to make with other different uh, subcultures on the internet, maker people, hacker people, homeschooling people, because this is where we get to A, continue to educate those people in their gun culture journey, journey, but also pick up those skills uh, and those principles that we may be missing over here in uh, the gun culture community. I'm deeply encouraged by all of the stuff that has happened on that front in the year 2021, and I'm really looking forward to the opportunities and obstacles um, that we will need to overcome in 2022.